Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. We are uh, the second week into a new series called Reasons, and uh, we're kind of answering a question through this little series. It's only three weeks long. Greg's going to finish it next week. But the question that we're, we're trying to answer is, why do you believe what you believe? There's a scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, and it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. That word revere uh, is the same idea of set him apart, make him uh, above and beyond everything else in your heart, uh, make him Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and do it with gentleness and respect. So my, my goal today is to uh, tell you my story. Uh, Greg uh, shared a word, um, a great word last week, but mine's going to be quite different to what you normally hear on a Sunday. I'm, I'm not really trying to unpack deep scriptures or I just want you to meet God today through the story of my own life. Um, and I want you to see the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God in the way that he's worked in my life over the past 25 years or so since I became a Christian. Um, and I want to kind of do it in two halves today. It's like the before and the after, if you will, before I met God and after I met God. And I want to use a scripture from the book of John, John chapter 10 and verse 10. And this is Jesus speaking and he's it's a sobering word, and I, and I want you to hear this. I'm going to share the first half now, and then later I'll share the second half. But what he says here is he talks about the thief. You know when we talk about the thief, or when he talks about the thief, who are we talking about? The devil, okay? Some people have this idea that the devil is this naughty boy, prancing around in the back of the room, being a bit cheeky and mischievous. But Jesus is actually trying to help us to be aware that he is active, and he is deliberate in the way that he wants to have an effect in our lives. Jesus says, the thief comes only, this is his only goal, to steal your joy, the goodness of God from your life. He wants to kill you. Yes, he wants to end your life. If, his, if he could have his way today, it would be that we all died right now. That would make him very happy. He wants to kill you you physically and his ultimate goal would be to destroy you spiritually to see you end your life end apart from God bankrupt empty hopeless lost that is the devil's main and only objective in your life so I pray that we don't ever fall into this trap of thinking we don't have to worry about him because we we don't have to worry in a sense that Jesus is greater, and we'll look at that later on, but he's not playing games. Amen. And so my life really is an illustration of his purpose to come and steal, to kill and destroy, right? The story for my life begins uh, today for us with me at the age of seven years old, um, living in South Africa with my mom and dad. Uh, we'd been there for five years. 
Um, and things were not well in my mom and dad's marriage. I'm not sure what all the details are because I was just a young boy and that kind of thing mostly gets hidden from children. But all I know is that at the age of seven, my mom and dad got divorced. And um, my mom took me to Zimbabwe from South Africa and she met another guy called Quentin, who was a lovely guy, um, and they got married. Now, uh, at the age of nine, them having been married, we as a family moved back to the youth UK, and uh, we were living kind of south, southwest London in that area there. Um, my mom uh, had an issue or a problem, or that was an alcoholic, um, and I think had been dealing with that in various ways through the, the younger years of my life. But from the age of nine, when I was living in the UK, it really took a hold of her. Uh, she worked in accounting, and as a result of her drinking, I'm, 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 I can only assume that the, the shift from moving from Africa to the UK and all uh, the pressure that that puts on people uh, kind of re-establishing themselves and rebuilding a, a life where you had no uh, base took a great toll on her life because she didn't cope very well, I don't think, and began to drink quite significantly to the point that actually she wasn't working anymore and we were racking up, I don't know the extent of it, but considerable debt. Um, I know that against the grain of kind of how money was in our lives, one Christmas, I think for Christmas I got a bike, I got like a keyboard, and I got a computer. I mean, I had no idea how to play any of these things, but I got them for Christmas one year, and I was like, wow. But obviously, we didn't have the money to pay for that, and with that scenario in place in our lives, the debt collectors came looking for their money. And I can remember one night being sat on my dad's shoulders, my stepdad Quinton's shoulders, um, and you know we were, we were trying to salvage and run, I guess, with whatever we could hold in our hands because we knew that the next day they were literally coming to take it all. And I was sat on my dad's shoulders trying to unscrew a light fitting from the ceiling in the hallway. Um, and they came and they took it all, literally all that stuff I told you about uh, was taken, and we ended up living uh, in a council house, living off the state, uh, and it was not a happy time in, in my life. I'm, I'm a young lad now, I think I'm about 13 or 14 years old, uh, and my mom, her drinking is really the predominant thing in our lives and is having the greatest effect. Uh, I, I, I talked earlier on about how, if those of you who live with people that drink, you're very aware of this fact that they have two personalities. I talked about how I had two moms. I had the mom when I woke up in the morning who was sober and who made sense and who was caring and involved. And then I would come home after school and I didn't know what I was going to get by way of a mom. She would be in various states of drunkenness. Um, and it was very stressful for my mom and for my stepdad um, I, I don't really know the details again. All I know is that at one point my stepdad disappeared for two days and we had no idea where he was. Um, and he was not contactable, um, but he reappeared again after two days 
um, and we kind of just bumbled on. My mom was quite sick physically because of the drinking and uh, she would end up in hospital for quite lengthy periods of time. Uh, the one, one day I came home uh, after school and um, she had been drinking and she had an ulcer in her tummy because of all of her drinking and that bled and, and the one day I remember coming into the bedroom and there was no one at home. Uh, the bedclothes were not on the bed. It was like the sheets were crumpled, but there was this massive pool of blood on the bed. Like, I'm not joking. I don't mean to try and be dramatic, but like someone had been stabbed on the bed, you know, and had been lying there in the pool of blood. I didn't know where my mom was. Uh, she obviously, as a result of that, had been taken to hospital. But this was the kind of environment that I was living in. Um, and... It took its toll on us, it took its toll on me, but it also took its toll on my stepdad um, because I don't think he really knew how to cope with this scenario. When you live with an alcoholic, you are, I was describing it to someone, it's like watching a train crash happening, but you can't stop the train. Um, and I remember being sat in the back of maths one day at school and there was a knock on the door and the door opened, and it was the deputy headmaster, and he, he called just gently across to the teacher who was sat at the desk and said, could I speak to James Matheson, please? And I, I was just saying, in that moment, I had this sinking ceiling, feeling sorry, in my stomach that I, I knew exactly what he was going to tell me. And he called me out of maths, and he took me to his office, and he sat me down, and he said, I've got some really bad news to tell you, James. I'm sorry to say that today your stepdad had committed suicide. Um, he had come to the end, I guess, and had no way of seeing hope. Um, and he knew that that day as well, my mom was going to be coming out of hospital. And I think she'd been in hospital for a month at that stage while they settled everything down again after some big drama physically in her um, but you can imagine her coming out of hospital to that kind of a news with the problem that she had. The drinking just went more and more out of control. And she, it wasn't long before she was back in hospital again. Um, and that was the last time, actually, that she came out of hospital. She was in hospital. She just deteriorated and deteriorated. Uh, she started to look so old. I remember one time I went to go and visit her in hospital, and she was like, an orange. Uh, she had cirrhosis of the liver. She was so jaundiced. I couldn't imagine actually that a physical per a person could physically look like that. And she had this empty, vacant look as she looked at me. And she didn't really, she wasn't aware that I was even there, I don't think, or who I was. Um, and really sadly, it wasn't long after that, and she died as well. And I was an orphan. At the age of 14 or 15, I was alone in the world in the sense that I had no family around me. Uh, we had family who were living in Zimbabwe, but they were like my uncle and cousins, etc. But me, in, in England at that time, I, I was now an orphan. And I, I want to take a few moments just to talk about this whole thing of orphanhood, because it's important for you to understand what an orphan lacks in their lives. I mean, I know it's easy to say, oh, it's just the mom and dad. But the reality of it is that you don't have any leader figure in the home. It's literally you, and whoever else is trying to help you 
make life work. So you don't have someone there as a parent should to protect you and to be like a head or a covering in the family to lead you. You don't have a parent who should be there to nurture you as a child through your development and to help you deal with all the things that you deal with as a child. There's no provision. Suddenly now, literally, I had no money. I had no stuff. I had no means of provision in my life. Um, a massive hole in terms of that area. Uh, there was no one there to give me identity. You know, this idea of our families have identities. There were no uh, father or mother figure in my life to kind of build my identity and speak into my identity as a person. As a person. And there was a distinct lack of parental love in my life. You know, parents love their children no matter what. You can be a good kid, you can be a skabanga, is a word that we use in Zimbabwe, someone who is on a mission. And you know, your mom and your dad, they might not like the way you're living, but they love you. And I was surrounded by people who were trying to love me, but I wasn't their blood. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So this idea of orphanhood really spells out what it's like to try and grow in that kind of atmosphere. There was a severe lack in my life. Now, whether you realize it or not, spiritually, if you don't know God as your Father, your Heavenly Father, you are a spiritual orphan. At this stage in my life, I was a physical orphan and I was a spiritual orphan. I, I didn't have faith. I didn't believe in Jesus. I hadn't asked him to come into my life. I hadn't surrendered myself to him. I was disconnected from all that my physical parents needed to be providing me. And I was disconnected from my spiritual father in heaven and all of this that he could provide for me. Now, you might be sat here today and you might be completely unaware of the fact that God is with you. Do you know what I'm trying to say? In this scenario in my life, God was with me, but I didn't know it. He was working in my life, but I couldn't see it. There was a real disconnect. And I just say that today because it's quite possible that you're here today, and the same is true for you spiritually. Jesus um, was speaking in the book of John, and we're getting towards the happiest stuff now. You'll be pleased to know. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and um, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Right before these few verses that I'm going to read, he's saying to them, right, um, you haven't seen the Father, the Heavenly Father, your Father God, but you've seen me. And what that means is, when you look at me, you're looking at God. This is what he's saying. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's amazing in this portion of Scripture that Jesus is affirming the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all in a very short space of time, and the role that they play in our lives. He says in verse 16, because now Jesus is looking ahead, he, he knows that he's going to go to heaven, um, and he doesn't want us and those disciples to be alone. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, or another helper is the meaning there, um, to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. This idea that I was talking about just now, that we can't accept someone if we don't know who they are, but it doesn't mean they're not there. Does that make sense? Um, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and he's talking to them, and he says, you know him because you know me. Um, for he lives with you, right? And he makes a beautiful prophetic word to say, and he will be in you. This idea that now God has made us his home, that he lives in us. He's not just with us, he's in us. And this is what Jesus is prophetically describing. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then he goes, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So this idea that you're not going to be alone, you never are alone, and I'm going to be sending the Spirit to help you and be with you so that you can never ever be alone ever again. Even though you might be by yourself, you're not alone. Does that make sense? This is Jesus prophetically talking about this whole idea of him being with us. He says that I am one with the Father and with the Spirit and I'm with you. And this is the point that I really want to make at this point, that it doesn't matter where you're at in your life or what your journey looks like or how lonely you feel, God's word to you today is, I am with you. Now, at this stage in my own life, I didn't know it. But now that I look back, I can see the evidence of it. Um, I was a 15-year-old lad who used to go along to a youth group um, at a church, a small youth group. I, I didn't really care much for God. I just wanted something fun to do, and it was a wholesome place for me to be. Um, but it connected me to the life of a, fam a church family. And although I didn't consider myself a member of the family, there were people, Christians, who were loving me. And in this time when my, my stepdad had died and my mom had died, there was a, a period of about nine months where the youth workers, the youth pastors at the church, had asked me if I wanted to stay with them. Literally, I had nowhere to go. And they allowed me to come and live with them they were just a couple of guys who worked regular jobs and who ran the youth work at the church in their spare time and allowed me to come and stay with them in a small flat for nine months. Now, I didn't know God at the time, but he was with me. Can you see? Yes? They were loving me. They were the hands of God, his feet and his hands caring for me. Um, and... In that kind of same time frame when my mom had died, and I'd, I, I was staying with these guys before my mom died because she had been in hospital for a while before she died, so in case you're wondering how this all works. So not too long after she had died, my uncle, my mom's brother from Zimbabwe, came to England, and um, he asked me significantly, he came to tidy up my mom's affairs, and, and this is a corner in my life. I, I want you to see now it's about to go from disaster where the devil has been having a field day in my life and I didn't know it, to God breaking through and my whole horizon changing. Even though I was still an orphan boy with an orphan heart, my atmosphere was about to change, my circumstances were about to change. Uh, Psalm 23 and verse 4, I just want to really drive this point home for you today. 
It says there, listen to it, even though I walk through the darkest valley, if you've had a previous translation or another one, you probably know that verse says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that was me. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. David recognizing the presence of God in his life. Um, Isaiah, in chapter 43, verse 2, God speaking through Isaiah to his people says, when you pass through the waters, right, flood waters, turmoil, chaos in your life, I will be with you. When you pass through the, the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And this was the reality that I found myself in at this stage of my life. And as I said, things were starting to change. So before I, I proceed, I just want to finish the second half of that verse in John chapter 10 that I shared with you a little bit earlier on, where I said that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus is saying, listen guys, it's, it's one or the other. They are so different, they're not close. This is what the devil wants, but then he goes on to say what he wants for us. He says, I have come. Jesus, the Father has sent me to be with you. I have come so that you may have life. Now, that word life has got so much packed into it. It's not just, oh, I'm alive. It is Zoe life, the life of God, which is full and superfluous and overflowing and, and is not just the ability to breathe in and out, but the ability to live spiritually, the vitality of God. You know how uh, God created Adam out of the dust and then he breathed into his nostrils and he came to life. The essence of life, yes, but also the ability to have a relationship with your heavenly father. He said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full, right? Superior in quality and super abundant in quantity. This is the meaning of full. Jesus says, I've come so that you can have a full, full, full life, not just now, but forever. Amen. So now my uncle had said to me, James, if you want, if you would like to, we would love you to come with us or with me back to Zimbabwe and to live with us, which was great news and like the craziest news I'd ever had because um, I was literally going to leave everything that I knew, like all the people that were around me and the life that I had, as broken as it had become, I was potentially going to leave that all behind, get on an aeroplane, and when that aeroplane lands, it's a new life, where the only person I know is my uncle, and I have not seen him for many, 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 many years, and I, as an only child, am going to be living in a family with like three or four other kids in an environment that is brand new. But praise God, I made the right decision as a child who didn't know Jesus, who didn't care too much about having a relationship with God, I made a decision by the grace of God that changed the course 
of my life. And I want you to know today that you have power to choose the course of your life. Whether you, don't, whether you realize the potential of your decision or not, it is simply a decision that can turn things around. It's like I was walking in this direction and then I turned a corner. I'm not far away from where I was on the other side of the corner, but my horizon is completely new. You can distance yourself from your past. Listen to me. One good decision after another. And this was the most significant decision to this point of my life at 15 years old that I'd ever made. And I went to go and live with my aunt and uncle who happened to be a pastor and his wife and their three or four kids. It was slightly complicated, their family scenario. But he was a God-fearing man who was trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. They were talking to me about Jesus. They were, they were loving me and caring for me. You know, when I went there, uh, they, they tell me that I was just this closed boy who used to wander around the garden kicking a football. I was lost. My heart was closed. It was broken. I didn't want to open it to anybody because I didn't want to be hurt again. You know, he used to tell me that he loved me and I couldn't say it back. I was afraid. But in that environment, God began to soften me and unlock what he wanted to do in my heart. And uh, it was about 18 months later uh, that I can remember being sat in my bedroom, just finished doing my homework, and uh, I'd been thinking. Um, I'd been thinking about my life. I'd been thinking about the things that people had been telling me about Jesus. And I'd been given this little book by uh, the church that I left when I left the UK to go to Zimbabwe. And it basically talked about what it means to be a Christian and how to have a relationship with Jesus. And, and in the back was this little prayer that you could pray. And I remember sitting there. I wasn't in some emotional meeting. Uh, there was no manipulation whatsoever. Uh, I just remember sitting there thinking, for all this time, and it had been a couple of years now, I have been resisting God. I had come a close a couple of times to giving my life to Jesus, but I'd always pull back and as if to say, no, 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 no. And it kind of dawned on me, this thought, this realization, why? What have I got to lose? And it was in that moment when I kind of came to my senses, I thought, this is a good thing. God loves me. He wants to make a difference in my life. Look at what he's doing already, you know. And I sat there and I, and I prayed this simple prayer and I made the most valuable decision of my whole life. Looking back and looking forward, I gave my whole self to God, my Father. Uh, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, um, wholeheartedly gave myself to him. I was what people are, would describe, if you're not used to going to church, as a Christian. <clears throat> I started to get involved in the life of the church. 
which was awesome because it just I was hungry, I was growing. There was a community of people who were just loving me and who made me feel a part of, of them. Uh, I got involved in the worship team as a singer. Um, I was growing in my understanding of God. I started to form faith-based relationships with friends, faith-based friendships, who are my closest friends even to this day. Uh, God was working in my heart. I was going to the youth group at this particular church, uh, and at one particular point, the guys who were leading it, uh, they, they just circumstances changed, and they couldn't lead it anymore, so the youth group stopped happening. Um, but I started going to a youth group that my best friend from school was going to, and that happened to be the youth group that Greg was leading at a church called Highlands Presbyterian Church in Zimbabwe. And so that's kind of where we met each other 20-odd years ago. Uh, and it was a vibrant group of about 200 young people. I mean, we, we used to have church, you know, as young people. And it was awesome. It was a great environment to grow and, and to be discipled. I became one of the student leaders there. And now by this stage in my life, I'd kind of finished school. And I was at that stage where I was thinking, what am I going to do? I had no idea. I wasn't one of these people that just knew from a young age, this is what I'm supposed to do. But... At that particular time in my life, I prayed another very significant prayer. And I said to God, Lord, I don't know what it is that you want for me. Whatever you want me to do for my life, I don't know. But whatever it is, God, whatever it is, just show me and I will do it. I just gave him my future. I gave him the productiveness of my life. Um, and it wasn't like three weeks later or so that Greg came to me after one of the youth meetings and said, can I have a word with you? And I was like, sure. And he said, I th- we feel like it's time, because he was married, and, 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 and he, f- he said, I feel like it's time for me to go and finish my studies, my articles, what have you. And we've been praying about it, and we feel like God has said, we must ask you to pray about being the youth pastor. Now, Inside of me, I felt this massive surge of excitement and this huge surge of what? I'm like 20 years old. This is a massive youth group. Um, I have got no experience whatsoever in the ministry. Uh, But I said I'd go away and pray about it. And and I fasted and prayed. and, And I believe that God said, go for it, James. Do it. Now, I would love to stand here today and tell you that from the minute that I started leading the youth that we had exponential growth in the church and the youth and we went like from 200 kids to about 500 but the reality is of we had reverse evangelism when I started working there. We went from about 200 down to about 50 over a six month period. Now that's not terribly encouraging is it? When you feel God's told you to do something and you're full of faith and you're trying to be obedient in the simplicity of your experience and you're seeing it not going well. Uh, But in the time of prayer, I really felt the Lord encouraged me and I just want to encourage you today if you're a young person here. He led me to a a, a verse where Paul is talking to his his counterpart or his understudy, Timothy, and, and he says to him, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I thought, I can do that. 
I may not be trained, I may not be experienced, but I can set an example. And thank God for his faithfulness. Uh, we've moved on from there. But it was a fundamental part of my development and growth as a Christian. It was the next step for me that enabled me to keep growing. Now, I want you just to see what my past was like and how things are changing for me over a 25-year period. It so happened that at that church where I was the youth pastor, there happened to be a lovely young lady who was the children's pastor. My wonderful now wife. And uh, we began to notice each other. Let's put it that way. It was funny though, at one particular time, we were stood at the back of church after a service on one Sunday. We were both going out with different people at this time and we were sure in our minds and hearts that we were going to marry these respective people and we were talking about this together at the end of church and we, we, we chuckle about it sometimes. We think God must have just been there thinking, you're so silly. You have no idea what I've got in store for you. It so happened that those relationships never worked out and praise God, I'm the luckiest man in the world. <laughs> she said, yes. How awesome is that? And made me the happiest man. And now, as a result of that prayerful decision, we have three fantastic children that God has called me to be a father to. To love with all the love that I feel like I have inside, that I missed in my earlier life, I get the chance to pour that out on my wonderful kids. And they are my primary mission in life. You know, God said to me one day, if you do nothing in life apart from raise three healthy children, you will have been a success. So I want to encourage you, parents, God is for you. I'm nearly done. Uh, a few years later now, I was 30 or so at the time, after 23 years of having no contact really with my earthly dad, we were able to make contact with him again. I had no idea where he was in the world. Heidi's sister had put a little ad, like a lost and found ad, in a national magazine in South Africa. And one of his friends spotted the ad and said, hey Norman, is this you? And that moment was the beginning of me being able to build a relationship with my earthly dad. Um, and our, our, the experience of meeting my dad for the first time after 23 years, just that experience showed me so much about God. He's not a believer, sadly, I'm praying for him, but he obviously had seven years worth of memory of me. And over those years, I had, as a child, I had forgotten much with all that had been going on. But he lived down in South Africa, and we took a trip down to South Africa to go and meet him. This was like the, you're going to meet your dad kind of moment. I was feeling weird about it, because I had very few memories, and I didn't know what I was going to feel. My dad was like a spring inside. He was so excited, because my mom had lied and made me cut off all communication with him, and he just thinks, I guess he lost his son. Anyway... It's like the parable of the prodigal son, if you know that story. Uh, I hadn't been a prodigal, but the significant thing is how the father loves the son and how we arrived uh, in South Africa. It's a gated community. Uh, we ring the buzzer, and obviously he answers the, 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 the intercom in his house, and I'm like, hi, it's James, and it's like, hi. 
<laughs> the gate starts opening, and I'm not lying to you. It's like his house is a couple of hundred meters away. I haven't even driven my car halfway through the gate, and he is there by the car, diving through the window and hugging me. It was like his son had come home. That is a picture of how much God loves you and me. You know, sometimes we are unaware of his presence with us, but he's there. And I'm trusting today that you can see how the devil wants to destroy your life, but how God wants to enrich your life. And I would love to say that a decision made today will change instantly everything in your life, but that's 95% not going to be your reality. But the point that I want to leave you with today is we're going to worship with another song in a moment. You have the potential right now to make the most important decision you will ever make that will change the course of your life and revolutionize you as a person. You can come, if you don't already, you can come into relationship with your heavenly Father who is good, who loves you passionately. And so can I ask, Nathan, if you can come with the band. We're going to take a moment to worship. I want you to reflect on what has been said today and then Greg is going to come and just lead us after that. Thank you very much for listening so patiently. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.